everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cast, a weekly feel-good podcast where this week we finish Alice's adventures through the looking glass, and that's it. That's right, this week's episode is a bit of a weird one because we finish through the looking glass, and that's pretty much the entire podcast. Uh, reason being is because the last um, chunk of this book kind of rolled together really conveniently. Um, and it was just like, it just made sense to me to just be like, all right, we're done. Now we get, now we get to move on. Um, I'm pretty sure the next book is going to be Peter and Wendy, which is the novel that the Peter Pan story, um, comes from. It was, uh, released as a book in 1911, um, after being based off of a screenplay in, t- in 1908, I believe are the dates in question. So that'll be the next thing we read. Um, but right here at the top of the of the podcast, I wanted to thank our brand new Patreon supporter, Cat, for being very generous and donating to this wonderful podcasting audiobooking cause, especially in these these difficult times. It means a absolute world to me, and I want to thank you very much for being so generous. And I wanted to hope you I wanted to hope you. Nope, that's just a bad sentence. I wanted to express my hope that you guys are all staying safe out there during these difficult times. The ongoing situation has continued uh, to progress and will most likely be the norm for quite some time. Um, Nobody really knows when this is going to end, but it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And for the sake of you and me and everybody on the planet, I don't think it should. We should all stay home and stay safe and just keep battening down the hatches as long as possible and hope that eventually a vaccine comes around and that we've all learned a valuable lesson from this horrible nightmare of donkey shit. Um, God knows there's a lot of Netflix and Disney Plus shows to watch, so explore that shit. And I would personally recommend y'all dive into Critical Role because I promise you no single show will take nearly as, like, Critical Role will take up so much of your time. Like, even if you started it now, I would be surprised if you caught up through both seasons before the stay-at-home order was done. That's how that's how much shit there is. Each episode is at least three hours long. At least. There's 115 episodes in the core campaign of campaign one. Not even counting, like, one-shots and shit. And then there are 99 episodes in fucking season two. And there's more one-shots there. So we're talking literal thousands of hours of this shit. Um, is that right? Hold on. Let me run the numbers. Let's Let's... Let's break out old calculator. Calculator. Okay. So, 115 plus 99 equals 214 episodes. Core campaign. If each one is at least three hours long, we're talking 642 hours. If we divide that by 24 hours in a day, that is 27 days, round it up. 27 days straight of watching this shit. That's absurd. So... I guess if you wanted to watch The Simpsons from the beginning, I don't know why you would. You're going to get more entertainment out of Critical Role, I can guarantee it. So, yes, watch that. Stay safe. Wash your hands. I hope everybody has a wonderful week. And let us listen to Alice's Adventures Through the Looking Glass and all the crazy dumb shit she found there. All right, I am, as George R.R.R.R. Martin might put it, Halfway in my cups, which means I've had some booze, just a little bit, not too much, not too much, just a little schnifter, just a little like half inch of whiskey. Anyway, chapter seven, 
the lion, and the unicorn. The next moment, soldiers came running through the wood, at first in twos and threes, then ten or twenty together, and at last in such crowds that they seemed to fill the whole forest. Alice got behind a tree for fear of being run over and watched them go by. She thought that in all her life she had never seen soldiers so uncertain on their feet. They were always tripping over something or other. Uh, and whenever one went down, several more always fell over him so that the ground was soon covered in little heaps of men. Then came the horses. Having four feet, they the, these managed rather better than the foot soldiers, but even they stumbled now and then, and it seemed to be a regular rule that whenever a horse stumbled, the rider fell off instantly. The confusion got worse every moment, and Alice was very glad to get out of the wood into an open place where she found the White King seated on the ground, busily writing in his memorandum book. I've seen them all, the king cried in a tone of delight on seeing Alice. Did you happen to meet any soldiers, my dears, who came through to the wood? Yes, I did said Alice. Several thousand, I should think. Four thousand two hundred and seven. That's the exact number, the king said, referring to his book. Couldn't send all the horses, you know, because two of them are wanted in the game. And I haven't sent two messengers either. They're both gone to town. Uh, just look along the road and tell me if you see either of them. I see nobody on the road, said Alice. I only wish I had such eyes, the king remarked in a fretful tone, to be able to see nobody. And at that distance, too. Why, it's as much as I can do to see real people by this light. All this was lost on Alice, who was still looking intently along the road, shading her eyes with one hand. I see somebody now, she exclaimed at last, but he's coming very slowly, and what curious attitudes he goes into. But the messenger kept skipping up and down, wriggling like an eel, as he came along with his gray hands spread out like fans on each side. Not at all, said the king. He's an Anglo-Saxon messenger, and those are Anglo-Saxon attitudes. He only does them when he's happy. His name is Haiga. He pronounced it so to rhyme with mayor. Haiga. Mayor. Haiga. Haiga? Mayor. Haiga. I don't know how to... I don't know how to pronounce this series of letters to make it rhyme with mayor. I'm going with Haiga. That doesn't rhyme with mayor, though. It's H-A-I-G-H-A. -H -A. How do you make that rhyme with mayor? I don't know what sounds these letters need to make in order to pull off this linguistic miracle, but I've got... I got nothing. I love my love with an H, Alice couldn't help beginning, because he is happy. I hate him with an H, because he is hideous. I fed him with with ham sandwiches and hay. His name is Haga, and he lives he lives on the hill, the king remarked simply, without the least idea when uh, that he was joining in the game. And while Alice was still hesitating for the name of the town that begins with an H. The other messengers call him Hatta. I must go I must have two, you know, to come and go. One to come and one to go. I beg your pardon, said Alice. Isn't it res it isn't respectable to beg, said the king. I only meant that I didn't understand, Alice said. Why one to come and one to go? Do I have to tell you? The king repeated impatiently. I must have two to fetch and carry. One to fetch and one to carry. At this moment, the messenger arrived. He was too far... Uh, he was far too much out of breath to say a word. and could only wave his hands about and to make the most fearful faces at the poor king. This young lady loves you with an H, the king said, introducing Alice um, in the hopes of turning off the messenger's attention from himself, but it was no use. The Anglo-Saxon's attitudes only got more extraordinary every moment, while the great eyes rolled wildly from side to side. You alarm me, said the king. I feel faint. Give me a ham sandwich, which the messenger, to Alice's great amusement, opened a bag that hung around his neck and handed a sandwich to the king, who devoured it greedily. Another sandwich, said the king. But there's none but hay left in the bag now, the messenger said, peeping into the bag. Hey, then, King murmured in a faint whisper. Alice was glad to see it revived him a good deal. There's nothing like eating hay when you're faint, he remarked to her as he munched away. I should think throwing cold water over you would be better, Alice suggested, or some sal volatile. I don't know what that is. I'm too lazy to Google it, so we'll just always wonder. I didn't say there's nothing better, the king replied. I said there's nothing like it, which Alice did not venture to deny. 
Who did you pass on the road? The king went on, holding out his hand to the messenger for some more hay. Nobody, said the messenger. Quite right, said the king. This community saw him too. Of course, nobody walks slower than you. I do my best, the messenger said in a sulky tone. I'm sure nobody much walks much faster than I do. He can't do that, said the king, or else he'd have been here first. However, uh, now you've got your breath, you may tell us what happened in town. And there's more adorable drawings of these various things. Anyway. I'll whisper it, the messenger said, putting his hands to his mouth in the shape of a trumpet and stooping so as to get close to the king's ear. Alice was sorry for this, as she wanted to hear the news too. However, instead of whispering, he simply shouted at the top of his voice, They're at it again! Do you call that a whisper? cried the poor king, jumping up and shaking himself. If you do such a thing again, I'll have you butted! It went through and through my head like an earthquake! It would have had been a very tiny earthquake, thought Alice. Who are you again? she ventured to ask. Why, the lion and the unicorn of... Well, who are at it again? Why, the lion and the unicorn, of course, said the king. Fighting for the crown? Yes, to be sure. King said, the best of the joke is that it's my crown all the while. Let's run and see them. And they tried it off. Alice repeating herself as she ran the words of the old song. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The lion beat the unicorn all around the town. Some gave them white bread, some gave them brown, some gave them plum cake and drummed them out of town. Does the one that wins gets the crown? She asked as well as she could for she was running uh, for the run was putting her quite out of breath. Dear me, no, said the king. What an idea. Would you be good enough? I was panted out after running a little further to stop for a minute just to get one's breath again. I'm good enough, the king said, only I'm not quite strong enough. See, a minute goes by so fearfully quick. You might as well try to stop for a bandersnatch. Or stop a bandersnatch. Alice had no more talking uh, breath for talking, so they trotted on in silence till they came inside of a great crowd in the middle of which the lion and the unicorn were fighting. Uh, they were in a, it's such a cloud of dust that at first Alice could not make out which was which, but she soon managed to distinguish the unicorn by his horn, and not by the lion's penis. They placed themselves close to where Hatta, the other messenger, was standing to watch the fight, with a cup of tea in one hand and a piece of bread and butter in the other. Is it buttered bread, or is it a piece of bread and butter? What the fuck is bread and butter? Is that a singular item? Is it a loaf of butter that's, like, in the shape of bread? I don't know. It's stupid. Poorly, poorly written phrase. Uh, he's only just out of prison, and he hasn't finished his tea when he was sent in, Hygo whispered to Alice. And they only gave him the oyster sterils in there, so you see he's very hungry and thirsty. How are you, dear child? He went on putting his arm affectionately around Hatta's neck. Hatta looked round and nodded and went on his bread and butter. Were you happy in prison, dear child? said Hyga. Hatta looked round once more, and this time a tear or two trickled down his cheek, but not a word would he say. Jesus. Speak, can't you? Hyga cried impatiently, but Hatta only munched away and drank some more tea. Speak, won't you? cried the king. How are they to get how are they getting on with the fight? Had made a desperate effort and swallowed a large piece of bread and butter. They're getting on very well, he said in a choking voice. Each of them has been down at eighty seven times. I suppose they will soon bring the white bread to the brand, as ventured uh, the remark. It's waiting for him now, said Hatta. This is a bit of it as I'm eating. There was a pause in the fight just then, and the lying in the unicorn sat down panting. Well the king called out, Ten minutes allowed for refreshments. Hyga and Hatta set to work, and once carrying around rough uh, trays of white and brown bread, Alice took a piece to taste, but it was very dry. I don't think there'll be any more fighting today, the king said to Hatta. Go and order the drums to begin. And Hatta went off, bounding like a grasshopper. For a minute or two, Alice stood silent, uh, watching him. Suddenly, she brightened up. Look, look, she cried, pointing eagerly. That's the white queen, queen, run. <laughs> whatever. The white queen running across the country. She can fly out of the wood over yonder. How fast can queens, uh, how fast those queens can run? There's some enemy after her, no doubt, the king said, without looking around. The wood's full of them. Aren't you going to run to help her? I was asked, very much surprised at his taking it so quietly. No use, no use, the king said. She runs so fearfully quick. You might as well try to catch a bandersnatch. But I'll make a memorandum about her if you like. She said, dear good creature, he repeated to himself softly as he opened his memorandum book. Do you spell creature with a double E? At this moment, the unicorn sauntered by them with his hands in his pockets. 
I had the best time. I had the best of it this time, he said to the king, um, just glancing at him his best. A little and little, the king replied rather nervously. Shouldn't have run him through your horn, you know. Didn't hurt him, the unicorn said carelessly, and he was going on uh, when his eye happened to fall upon Alice. He turned around rather instantly and stood for some time looking at her with an air of the deepest disgust. What is this? He said at last. This is a child, Haga repeated eagerly, coming in front of Alice to introduce her and spreading out both of his hands towards her in an Anglo-Saxon attitude. We only found it today. It's as large as life and twice as natural. I thought, always thought they were fabulous monsters, the unicorn said. Is it alive? It could talk, Haga said solemnly. The unicorn looked dreamily at Alice and said, Talk, child. Alice could not help her lips curling into her smile as she began. Do you know, I always thought unicorns were fabulous monsters, too. I never saw one alive before. Well, now that you, we have seen each other, the unicorn said, if you believe in me, I believe in you. It's out of the bargain. Yes, if you like. I said, come fetch out to the plum cake, old man. The unicorn went on turning from her to the king. None of your brown bread for me. Certainly, certainly, the king muttered and beckoned to Haiga. Over the bag, he whispered, quick. Not that one, that's full of hay. Haiga took a large cake out of the bag and gave it to Alice to hold uh, while he got out a dish and carving knife. How they all came out of it, Alice could only guess. It was conjuring like, it was just like a conjuring trick, she thought. And here, just like, is uh, spelled with one word. Interesting. The lion had joined them while this was going on. He looked very tired and sleepy, and his eyes were half shut. What's this? He said, blinking lazily at Alice and speaking in a deep hollow tone that sounded like the tolling of a great bell. Ah, uh, what is it now? The unicorn cried eagerly. You'll never guess I couldn't. The lion looked at Alice wearily. Are you animal, vegetable, or mineral? He said, yawning at every other word. It's a fabulous monster, the unicorn cried out before Alice could reply. The hand round the plum cake monster, the lion said, laying down and putting his chin on his paws. And sit down both of you to the king and unicorn. Fair play with the cake, you know. King was evidently very uncomfortable at laving to sit down between the two great creatures, but there was no other place for him. I'm guessing it's supposed to be having, but it's a typo. What a fight we might have for the crown now, the unicorn said, looking slyly at the crown, which uh, the poor king was nearly shaking off his head. He trembled so much. I should win easily, said the lion. Not so sure of that, said the unicorn. Why well, beat you all around the town, you chicken? The lion replied angrily, getting half getting up as he spoke. Here the king interrupted. To prevent the quarrel going on, he was very nervous, and his voice quite quavered. Oh, all around the town, he said. That's a good long way. Did you go by the old bridge or the marketplace? You get the best view by the old bridge. I'm sure I don't know, the lion growled out as he lay down again. It's too much dust to see anything. What a time the monster is cutting up that cake. Alice had seated herself on the bank of a little brook with the great dish on her knees and was sawing away diligently with a knife. It's very provoking, she said uh, in reply to the lion. She was getting quite used to being called the monster. I've cut several slices already, but they always join on again. You don't know how to manage looking glass cakes, the unicorn remarked. Head it round first and cut it afterwards. It sounded nonsense, but Alice very obediently got up, carried the dish around, and the cake divided itself into three pieces as she did. Now cut it up, the lion said as she returned her plate with the empty dish. I say, this isn't fair, cried the unicorn as Alice sat with her knife in hand, very much puzzled how to begin. The monster has given the lion twice as much as me. She kept none for herself anyhow, said the lion. Do you like plum cake, monster? But before Alice could answer him, the drums began. Where the noise came from, she couldn't make out. The air seemed full of it, and it rang through and through her head till she felt quite deafened. She started to her feet and sprang across the little brook in terror just in time to see the lion and the unicorn rise to their feet with angry looks being interrupted in their feast before she dropped uh, to her knees and put her hands over her put her hands over her ears, mainly trying to shut out the dreadful uproar. If that doesn't drum them out of town, she thought to herself, nothing ever will. That might be the shortest Alice in Wonderland chapter ever. It's because it was full of pictures. There's like five pictures in that chapter. Huh. Interesting.
Chapter 8. It's my own invention. After a while, the noise seemed gradually to die away till all was dead silent, and Alice lifted her head in some alarm. There was no one to be seen. At first thought she was that she must be a dreaming about the lion and the unicorn and those still lying at her feet, on which she had tried to cut the plum cake. Cake. So I was dreaming after all, she said to herself. Unless... Unless we're all part of the same dream. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. I think she finally figured it out. Um, only I do hope it's my dream and not the Red King's. I don't like belonging to another person's dreams. Why the Red King? God, this fucking... Ideas jump around in this book so fucking often. It's nigh on impossible to keep up with this shit. There's no sense in trying to make sense of this. So I'm just letting it wash over me like a weird dream. Yeah, get it? Anyway. She went on in a rather complaining tone. I've got a great mind to go and wake him up and see what happens. Oh, that's right. She's actually talking about that thing from before. Anyway, and there's a picture we just scrolled past. It's a two knights fighting on horseback, like chess knights. Um, one's white and one's black. So, At this moment, her thoughts were interrupted by a loud shouting of, Ahoy! Ahoy! Check! And a knight dressed in crimson armor came galloping down upon her, brandishing a great club. Just as he reached her, the horse stopped suddenly. You're my prisoner! The knight cried as he tumbled off his horse. Startled as she was, Alice was more frightened for him than of herself, and watched him with some anxiety as he mounted again. As soon as he was comfortable in the saddle, he began once more. You're my! But uh, here another voice broke in. Ahoy! Ahoy! Check! And Alice looked round in some surprise with the new enemy. This time it was a white knight. He drew up at Alice's side and tumbled off his horse just as the Red Knight had done. Then he got on again, and the two knights sat and looked at each other for some time without speaking. Alice looked from one to the other in some bewilderment. She's my prisoner, you know, the Red Knight said at last. Yes, but then I came to rescue her. I can't use the same voice for both knights. I'm going to make one of them southern, but I'm not going to tell you which one. You're going to have to figure it out, the White Knight replied. Well, then, we must fight for her, then, said the Red Knight. I guess it's guess that didn't last long as he took up his helmet which hung from the saddle uh, which was something of the shape of a horse's head and put it on uh -uh. you will observe that it was a battle of course the white knight remarked putting on his helmet too I always do said the red knight and then began banging away at each other with such a fury that Alice got behind a tree to get out of the way of the bliss I wonder now what the rules of battle are, she said to herself as she watched the fight timidly peeping out from her hiding place. One rule seems to be that if one knight hits the other, he knocks him off his horse, and if he misses, he tumbles off himself. Another rule seems to be that they hold their clubs with their arms as if they were punching uh, punching Judy. What a noise they make when they tumble. Just like a whole set of five irons, fire irons falling into the fender. And how quiet the horses are. They let them get on and off just as if they were tables. Another rule of battle that Alice had not noticed seemed to be that they always fell on their heads. The battle ended with both of them falling off this way side by side, and when they got up again, they shook hands, and the Red Knight mounted and galloped off. It was a glorious victory, wasn't it? said the White Knight as he came up panting. I don't know, I said deftly. I don't want to be anybody's prisoners. I want to be a queen. Where did that come from? The sudden desire to be a queen? Did she talk about this before? I can't remember. You know, I read these chapters, like, in preparation for this week's episode, so... It's been a minute since like, we started reading this book, but I think her desire to be a queen kind of came out of nowhere. Could be wrong. Um, I don't know. So you will when you've crossed the next brook, said the White Knight. I'll see you safe to the end of the wood. Then I must go back, you know. That's the end of my move. Thank you very much, said Alice. May I help you, um, help you off with your helmet? Sure. It was evidently more than he could manage by himself. However, she managed to shake him out of it at last. Now one can breathe more. Or, now one can breathe more easily, said the knight, putting back his shaggy hair with both hands and turning his gentle face and large, mild eyes to Alice. She thought she had never seen such a strange-looking soldier in all her life. He was dressed in tin armor, which seemed to fit him very badly, and had a queer-shaped little deer 
steel fox fastened across his shoulders upside down with the lid hanging open. Alice looked at it with great curiosity. I see you are admiring my little box. The knight said in a friendly tone. It's my own invention. It keeps clothes and sandwiches in. You see, I carry it upside down so the rain can't get in. But the things can get out, Alice gently remarked. Do you know why the lid's open? I didn't know it. Um, uh, do you know the lid's open? I didn't know it, said the king, a very a shade of vexation passing over this. Then all the things must have fallen out. The box is no use without them. He unfastened it as he spoke. and was just going to throw it in the bushes when suddenly thought seemed to strike him and he hung it carefully on a tree. Can you guess why I did that? He said to Alice. Alice shook her head. And hope some bees may make a nest of it. Then I should get the honey. But you've got a beehive, or something like one fastened to the saddle. Alice said, Yes, it is a very good beehive. Alice, the knight said in a discontented tone, One of the best kind, but not a single bee has come near it yet. The other thing is a mousetrap. Suppose the mice keep the bees out, or the bees keep the mice out. I don't know which. I was wondering what the mousetrap was for. Alice said, It is very likely there would be any mice on the horse's back. Not very likely, perhaps, the knight said. But if they do come, I don't chance to have them running all about. You see, he went on after a pause, it's a well to be provided for everything. It's a well to be provided for everything. All right, sure. That's the reason the horse has all those anklets around his feet. What are they for? I was asking in a tone of great curiosity. To guard against the bites of sharks. Then I replied, it's an invention of my own. And now help me on. I'll go with you to the end of the wood. What's the dish for? It's meant for plum cake. Alice said, we better take it with us. The knight said, it'll come in handy if we find any plum cake. Um, help me get it into this bag. Took a very long time to manage, though Alice held the bag open very carefully because the knight was so very awkward in putting the dish in. The first two or three times he tried, he fell on himself instead. It's a rather tight fit, you see, um, he said as they got it in at last. There are so many candlesticks in the bag. And he hung on the saddle, which was already loaded with a bunch of carrots, fire irons, and many other things. I hope you've got your hair well fastened on, he continued as they set off. Only in the usual way, Alice said smiling. That's hardly enough, he said anxiously. You see, the wind is so very strong here. It's as strong as a soup. Okay. Have you invented a plan for keeping the hair from being blown off? Alice inquired. Not yet, said the knight. But I've got a plan for keeping it from falling off. I should like to hear it very much. First you take an upright stick, said the knight. Then you make your hair creep up to it like a fruit tree. Now that the reason the hair falls off is because it hangs down. Things never fall upward, you know. It's a plan of my own invention. You may try it if you like. What the actual fuck is this book even, even saying to me anymore? It is a fucking mystery. I don't get it. It didn't sound like a comfortable plan, thought Alice, for a few minutes as she walked down in silence, puzzling over the idea, and every now and then stopping to help the poor knight, who was certainly not a good rider. Whenever the horse stopped, which it did very often, he fell off in front, and whenever it uh, went on again, which generally did rather suddenly, he fell off behind. Otherwise, uh, he kept on pretty well, except uh, he had a habit of now and then falling off sideways. As he generally did this on the side of which Alice was walking, she soon found that it was the best plan not to quite walk quite so close to the horse. I'm afraid you've not had much practice in riding, she ventured to say, as she was helping him up for his fifth tumble. And I looked very much surprised and a little offended at the remark. What makes you say that? He said as he scrambled back into the saddle, keeping hold of Alice's hair with one hand to save himself from falling over on the other side. People don't fall off quite so often when they've had much practice. I've had plenty of practice, the knight said very gravely. Plenty of practice. Alice could think of nothing better to say, indeed? But, uh, as she said it as heartily as she could. They went on a little ways in the silence after this, with the king's eyes shut, muttering to himself and Alice watching anxiously for the next tumble. The great art of riding, the knight suddenly began in a loud voice, waving his right arm as he spoke, is to keep, here the sentence ended, as suddenly as it had begun, as the knight fell heavily on top of his head, exactly in the same path Alice was walking. She was quite frightened this time, and said in an anxious tone as she picked him up, I hope no bones are broken. None to speak of, the knight said, uh, as he didn't mind breaking two or three of them. The great art of riding, as I was just saying, is to keep your balance properly. Like this, you know. He let go of the bridle and stretched out his arms to show Alice what he meant, and this time he fell flat on his back right under the horse's feet. 
Plenty of practice, she went on repeating. Um, he went on to practice. Oh, uh, hold on. Plenty of practice? He went on repeating all the time that Alice was getting him to his feet. Again. Plenty of practice. This is too ridiculous. Alice cried, losing all her patience this time. You ought to have a wooden horse on wheels, that you ought. Uh, does that kind go smoothly? Uh, the knight asked uh, in a tone of great interest, clasping his arms around the horse's neck as he spoke, just in time to save himself from tumbling off again. Much more smoothly than a live horse, Alice said with a little scream of laughter in spite of all she could do to prevent it. Why is she alive? Ah, uh, whatever. I'll get one, the knight said thoughtfully to himself. One or two, several. There was a short silence after this, then the knight went on again. I'm a great hand at inventing things. Now, I dare say you've noticed the last time you picked me up that I was looking rather thoughtful. Thoughtful. Uh, you were a little grave, Alice said. Well, just then, I was inventing a new way of getting over a gate. Would you like to hear it? Very much indeed, Alice said politely. I'll tell you how I came up to think of it, the knight said. You see, I said to myself, the only difficulty is with the feet. The head is high enough already. Now, first I put my head on top of the gate, then I stand on my head, then the feet are high enough, you see, then I'm over it, you see. This fucking, this fucking night. I don't understand, I don't, I don't, whatever. Trying to make sense of the insane whimsy of a child. That's a zero-sum game, mate. I suppose you would be over it when that was done, Alice said thoughtfully. But don't you think it would be rather hard? I haven't tried it yet, the knight said gravely. So I can't f tell for certain, but I'm afraid it would be a little hard. He looked so vexed at the idea that Alice changed the subject hastily. What a curious helmet you've got, she said cheerfully. Is that your invention too? And I looked proudly down at his helmet which hung from the saddle. Yes, he said, but I invented a better one than that, like a sugar loaf. I used to wear it. Uh, if I fell off the horse, it always touched the ground directly. So I had very little way to fall, you see. But there was a danger of falling into it, to be sure. That happened to me once. The worst of it was, before I could get out of it again, the white knight came up and put it on. He thought it was his own helmet. The knight looked so solemn that Alice uh, did not dare to laugh. I'm afraid you must have hurt him, uh, she said in a trembling voice, being on the top of his head. I had to kick him, of course, the knight said very seriously, then took the helmet off again. But it took hours and hours to get me out. I was as fast as... as lightning, you know. That's a different kind of fastness, Alice objected. The knight shook his head. There was all kinds of fastness with me, I assure you. Uh, he said. He raised his hands with some excitement, as he said this, and instantly rolled off the saddle and fell headlong into a deep dish. Alice ran to the side of the ditch to look for him. She was rather startled by the fall, and for some time, um, he had kept on very well, and she was afraid that he really was hurt this time. However, though she could see nothing but the soles of his feet, she was very relieved to hear that he was talking in his usual tone. All kinds of fastness, he repeated, but it was careless of him to put another man's helmet on with the man in it, you know. How can you go on talking so quietly, head downward? Alice asked as she dragged him out by the feet and laid him on the, in a heap on the bank. The knight looked surprised at the question. What does it matter where my body happens to be? Um, he said, my mind goes on working all the same. In fact, the more head downwards I am, the more I keep inventing new things. Now, the cleverest of the sort that I ever did, he went on after a pause, was inventing a new pudding during the meat course. In time, it'll have to, uh, in time to have it cooked for the next course? Alice said, well, not the next course, the king said in a slow, thoughtful tone. No, certainly not the next course. Uh, then it would have been the next day. Suppose you wouldn't have had two pudding courses in one dinner. Well, not the next day, then I repeated as before. Not the next day. In fact, he went on holding his head down, his voice getting lower and lower. I don't believe that pudding was ever cooked. In fact, I don't believe that the pudding ever will be cooked. And it was a very clever pudding to invent. What do you mean, uh, uh, what do you mean it to be made of? Alice said, hoping to cheer him up for the poor knight seemed quite low-spirited about it. it. began with blotting paper, the knight answered with a groan. Oh, it would be very nice, I'm afraid. Not very nice alone, he interrupted quite eagerly. But you've no idea what a difference it makes when mixing it with other things such as gunpowder and sealing wax. 
and here I must leave you, for they had come to the end of the wood. Alice looked, uh, could only look puzzled. She was thinking of the pudding. You are sad, the knight said in an anxious tone. Let me sing you a song to comfort you. Is it very long? Alice asked, for she had heard a good deal of poetry that day. It's long, the knight said, but very beautiful. Everybody hears me sing it. Either it brings their tears to the eyes or else. Or else what? Alice said, for the knight had made a sudden pause. Or else it doesn't, you know. The name of the song is called Haddock's Eyes. Um, oh, is that the name of the song, is it? Alice said, trying to feel interested. No, you don't understand, Knight said, looking a little vexed. That's what the name is called. The name is really The Aged Aged Man. Then it ought to have said, uh, that's what the song is called, Alice corrected her. No, you aren't. That's quite another thing. The song is called Ways and Means, but that's only what it's called, you know. Well, what is the song, then, Alice, who was, by this time, completely bewildered? I was coming to that, Knight said. Song really is a sitting on the gate. It's a tune of my own invention. So saying, he stopped his horse and let the reins fall to his neck, then slowly beating time with one hand with a faint smile upon his gentle, foolish face as he enjoyed the music of his song. He began. Of all the strange things that Alice saw in her journey through the looking glass, this was the one that she could always remember the most clearly. Years afterwards, she could bring the whole scene back again, as if it had been only yesterday. The mild blue eyes, the kindly smile of the night, the setting sun gleaming through his hair, and the shining on his armor in a blaze of light that quite dazzled her. The horse quietly moving about with the reins hanging loose on his neck, cropping the grass with it at her feet, and the black shadows of the forest behind. All this she took in like a picture. As with one hand shading her eyes, she leaned against a green, watching the strange parent listening in a half-dream to the melancholy music of the song. But the tune isn't my own invention, um, she said. Uh, the tune isn't his own invention, she said to herself. It's, I give thee all, I can no more. She stood and listened very attentively, but no tears came to her eyes. Oh, and I have to sing in this voice? I'm just going to read it out loud like a poem I'll tell thee everything I can there's little to relate I saw an aged aged man a sitting on a gate who are you aged man I said and how is it you live and his answer trickled through my head like water through a sieve he said I look for butterflies that sleep among the wheat I make them into mutton pies and sell them in the street I sell them unto men he said who sail on stormy seas and that's the way I get my bread a trifle if you please but I was thinking of a plan to dye one's whiskers green and always use a large, so large a fan that they could not be seen. So having no reply to give to what the old man said, I cried, come tell me how you live, and thumped him on the head. His accent smiled and took up the tale. He said, I go my ways when I find a mountain rill. And I set in a, in, in a blaze, and thence they make a stuff they call. Roland's mascar oil, yet two pence halfpenny is all they give me for my toil but i was thinking of a way to feed oneself on batter and so go on from day to day getting a little fatter i shook him well from side to side until his face was blue come tell me how you live i cried and what is it you do he said i hunk for haddock's eyes among the heather bright and work them into waistcoat buttons in the silent night and these i do not sell for gold or coin of silver shine but for a copper halfpenny that will purchase nine i sometimes dig for buttered rolls or set two twigs for crabs I sometimes search the grassy knolls for wheels of handsome crabs. And that's the way he gave a wink by which I get my wealth, and very gladly a will I drink, your honor's noble health. I heard him then, for I had just completed my design to keep the Manai Bridge from rust by boiling it in wine. I thanked him much for telling me the way he got his wealth, but chiefly for his wish that he might drink of uh, my drink, my noble health. And now, if ere by chance I put my finger into glue, or madly squeeze a right-hand foot into a left-hand shoe, if I drop upon my toe a very, very, a very heavy weight, I weep for it reminds me so that of that old man I used to know. 
whose look was mild, whose speech was slow, whose hair was whiter than the snow, whose face was very like a crow, with eyes like cinders aglow, who seemed distracted with his woe, who rocked his body to and fro, and he muttered mumbling and low, as if his mouth were full of dough, who snorted like a buffalo that summer evening long ago, a-sitting on the gate. As the knight sang out the last words of his ballad, he gathered up the reins, turned his horse's head along the road by which they had come. Only a few yards to go, he said, down the hill and over that little brook and you'll be a queen. But you'll stay and see me off first, he added to Alice as, um, as Alice turned with an eager look in the direction to which he pointed. I shan't be long. You'll wait and wave your handkerchief when I get to go around that turn on the road. I think it'll encourage me, you see. Of course I'll wait, Alice said. Thank you very much for coming so far. And for that song, I liked it very much. I hope so, King said doubtfully. But you didn't cry so much as I thought you would. So they shook hands and the knight rode off slowly away into the forest. It won't take long to see him off, I expect. Alice said to herself as she stood watching him. There he goes, right on his head as usual. However, he gets on again pretty easily. That comes from having so many things hung around the horse. So she went on talking to herself as she watched the horse walking leisurely along the road and the knight tumbling off first on one side, then on the other. After the fourth or fifth tumble, he reached the turn and she waved her handkerchief to him and waved and waited until he was out of sight. I hope it encouraged him, she said as she turned to run down the hill. Now for the last brook and to be a queen. How grand it sounds. She sounds like Sansa in Game of Thrones. A very few steps brought her to the edge of the brook. The eighth square last, she cried as she bounded across and threw herself down to rest on the lawn as soft as moss, with little flower beds dotted here and there. Oh, how glad I am to get here. And what is this on my head? She exclaimed in a tone of dismay as she put her hands to feel something very heavy and fitted tight all round her head. How can it have gotten there without my knowing it? She said to herself as she lifted off and set it on her lap to make out what it could possibly be. It was a golden crown. Interesting. So now we're going to deal with the monarchy reign of Queen Alice. Chapter 9, I think. Yep, sure. Queen Alice. Oh, and I need to <laughs> drink some tea. The knight's voice really did a number on me. It's because I wasn't doing the voice right. Stupid. Stupid mistake. Well, is this grand, Alison? I never expected I should be a queen so soon, and I'll tell you what it is, your majesty. She went on in a severe tone, which she always was rather fond of scolding herself. It'll never do for you to be lolling about in the grass like that. Queens have to be dignified, you know. So she got up and walked about rather stiffly, just as first. She was afraid the crime might come off, but she comforted herself with the thought <clears throat> there was nobody to see her. And if I really am a queen, she said, as uh, she sat down again, I shall, be man I shall be able to manage it quite well in time. Everything was happening so oddly that she didn't feel a bit surprised at finding the red queen and the white queen sitting close to her on each side. Uh, she would have liked very much to ask them how they came to be there, but she feared it would not be quite civil. However, there was no harm, she thought, in asking if the game was over. Please, would you tell me, she began, looking timidly at the Red Queen. Speak when spoken to, Queen said sharply, interrupted her. But if everybody obeyed that rule, Alice, um, said Alice, who was already ready for a little argument, um, and if you only spoke when you were spoken to and the other person always waited for you to begin, you would see nobody would ever say anything. So that's ridiculous, cried the Queen. Why, don't you see, child? Here she broke off with a crown after thinking for a minute and suddenly changing the subject to conversation. What do you mean by if you're really a queen? What right have you um, have you to all yourself so? What? What right have you to all yourself so? You can't be a queen, you know, till you've passed the proper examination. The sooner we begin it, the better. I only said if, poor Alice pleaded in a piteous tone. Two queens looked at each other. The red queen remarked with a little shudder. She said she only said if. But she said a great deal more than that. The white queen moaned, wringing her hands. Oh, I was so much more than that. And so you did, you know. The red queen spoke to Alice. Always oh, speak the truth. Think before you speak. Write it down afterwards. I'm sorry, I didn't mean... Alice was beginning, but the red queen interrupted her impatiently. 
That's just what I complain of. You should have meant it. Uh, you should have meant what you what do you suppose is the use of a child without any meaning? Even a joke should have some meaning, and a child's more important than a joke, I should hope. You couldn't deny that even if you tried with both hands. I don't deny things with my hands, Alice objected. Nobody said you did, the Red Queen said. I said you couldn't if you tried. She said in this uh, she's in that state of mind, the White Queen said, that she wants to deny something while she doesn't know what to deny. A nasty, vicious temper, the Red Queen remarked, and there was an uncomfortable silence for a minute or two. The Red Queen broke the silence by saying to the White Queen, I invited you to Alice's dinner party this afternoon. The White Queen smiled feebly and said, And I invited you. I didn't know that I was going to have a party at all, said Alice. But if there's to be one, I think I ought to invite the guests. We gave you the opportunity of doing it, the Red Queen remarked. But I dare say you've not had many lessons in manners yet. Manners are not taught in lessons, Alice said. Lessons teach you to do sums and things of that sort. And you do addition? Or, or And you do addition, the White Queen asked. When's What's one and one? And one and one, and one and one, and one and one, and one and one. I don't know, said Alice. I lost count. She can't do addition, the Red Queen interrupted. Can you do subtraction? Take nine from eight. Nine from eight, I can't, you know, Alice replied very readily. But she can't do subtraction, said the, the, the White Queen. Can you do division? Divide a loaf by a knife. What's that answer to, uh, what's the answer to that? I suppose Alice was beginning, but the Red Queen answered for her. Bread and butter, of course. Try another subtraction sum. Take a bone from a dog. What remains? Alice considered. The bone wouldn't have remained, of course, if I took it. The dog wouldn't have remained. It would come to bite me. I'm sure it sh um, I'm sure I shouldn't have remained. Then you think nothing would remain? The Red Queen said. I think that's the answer. Wrong as usual, the Red Queen said. The dog's temper would remain. But I don't see how... Why, look here, the Red Queen cried. The dog would lose its temper, wouldn't it? Perhaps it would, Alice replied cautiously. Uh, and then if the dog went away, the temper would remain, the dog exclaimed triumphantly. Alice said as gravely as she could. They might go different ways, but she can help uh, thinking to herself, what dreadful nonsense are we talking? I wonder if this is when Alice like kind of clicks in her head that she goes, oh, you guys are actually crazy. Could be, I don't know. She can't do sums a bit, the queen said together with great emphasis. Can you do sums? Alice said, suddenly, turning suddenly on the white queen, for she didn't like being found fault with so much. The queen gasped and shut her eyes. I can do addition. If you give me time, I can do subtraction under any circumstances. Of course, you know your ABCs, said the Red Queen. To be sure I do, said Alice. So do I, the White Queen whispered. We will often say it together, dear. I'll tell you a secret. I can read words of one letter. Isn't that grand? I can read words of one letter. So like A and I and that's it, right? I think that's it. Pretty sure. Isn't that grand? However, don't be discouraged. Don't come into it in time. Here the Red Queen began again. Can you use uh, answer useful questions? She said, how is bread made? I know that, Alice cried eagerly. You take some flour. Where do you pick the flour? The uh, white queen asked. In a garden or in the hedges? What well, isn't picked at all, Alice explains. It's ground. How many acres of the ground? The white queen said. You mustn't leave out so many things. Fan her head, the red queen anxiously interrupted. She'll be feverish after so much thinking. So they set to work and fanned her with a bunch of leaves till she had begged them to leave off till it blew her hair about so. She's all right again now, the Red Queen said. Do you know languages? What is French for fiddly-dee? Fiddly-dee is not English, Alice replied gravely. Whoever said it was, said the Red Queen. Alice thought that she was a way out of the, she saw a way out of the difficulty in this time. If you tell me what language fiddly-dee is, I'll tell you French for it, she exclaimed triumphantly. But the Red Queen drew herself up rather stiffly and the Queen and said, Queens never make bargains. I wish Queens never asked questions, Alice thought to herself. Don't let us quarrel, the White Queen said anxious tone. What is the cause of lightning? 
The cause of lightning, Alice said very decidedly, for she felt quite certain about this, is the thunder. No, no, she hastily corrected herself. I mean the other way. It's too late to correct it, the Red Queen said. When you say it, uh, once, you, once you've said a thing, that fixes it, and you must take the consequences. Which reminds me, said the White Queen, looking down and nervously clasping and unclasping her hands. We had such a thunderstorm last Tuesday. I mean, one of the uh, one of the last set of Tuesdays, you know. Alice was puzzled. In our country, she remarked, there was only one day at that time. The Red Queen said, that's a poor, thin way of doing things. Now here, we mostly have days and nights, two or three at a time. Sometimes in the winter, we take as many as five nights together, for warmth, you know. Are there five nights warmer than one, then? Alice ventured to ask. Five times as warm, of course. But there should be five times as cold by the same rule. Just so! cried the Red Queen. Five times as warm and five times as cold. Just as I'm five times as rich as you are and five times as clever. I sighed and gave up. It's exactly like a riddle with no answer, she thought. Humpty Dumpty saw it too. The White Queen went on in a low voice, uh, though she was more talking to herself. He came to the door with a corkscrew in his hands. What did he want? The Red Queen said. He said he would come in. The White Queen went on because he was looking for a hippopotamus. Now, as it happened, there wasn't such a thing in the house that morning. Except generally? I was asking in astonished tone. Well, only on Thursdays, said the Queen. I know what he came for, Salas. He wanted to punish the fish because here the White Queen began again. It was such a thunderstorm, you can't think. She never could, you know, said the Red Queen. And part of the roof came off, and ever so much thunder got in and went rolling round and round the room in great lumps, knocking over the tables and things out till I was so frightened I couldn't remember my own name. Alice thought to herself, she never tried to remember my name in the middle of an accident. Where would be the use of that? But she did not say this aloud for fear of hurting the poor Queen's feelings. Your Majesty must excuse her, the Red Queen said to Alice, taking one of the White Queen's hands in her own and gently stroking it. Wasn't the Red Queen like a fucking bitch? Or am I, am I off base on that? I thought she was a bitch. In the last book, she seems fairly understanding. Now, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Once again, I'm looking for meaning in a book that has just, it's just chaos in a book. I can't, I can't discern much of anything from this. Anyway. She means well, but she can't help saying foolish things as a general rule. The White Queen looked timidly at Alice, who felt she ought to say something kind, but she really couldn't think of anything at the moment. She never uh, was really well brought up, the Red Queen went on. But it's amazing how good tempered she is. Pat her on the head and see how she'll, how pleased she'll be. But this was more than Alice had courage to do. A little kindness and putting her hair in papers. That would do wonders with her. The White Queen gave a deep sigh um, and said, uh, deep sigh and laid her head on Alice's shoulders. I am so sleepy, she moaned. She's tired, poor thing, the Red Queen said. Smooth her hair and lend her your nightcap and sing her a soothing lullaby. I haven't got a nightcap with me, said Alice as she tried uh, to obey the first direction. I don't know any soothing lullabies. I must do it myself then, said the Red Queen and she began. Hush by lady in Alice's lap till the feast is ready with time for a nap. When the feast is over, we'll go to the ball, Red Queen and White Queen and Alice and all. And now you know the words, she added as she put her head down on Alice's other shoulder. Just sing it to me and I'm getting sleepy too. In another moment, both queens were fast asleep, snoring loudly. What am I to do? exclaimed Alice, looking about in great perplexity at first. One round head and then the other rolled down from her shoulder and lay in a heavy lump in her lap. I don't think uh, I don't think it'll ever it ever happened before. Not that anyone had to take care of two queens asleep at once. No, not in all of history of England. It couldn't, you know, because there was never more than one queen at a time. Well, not more than one English queen. Do wake up, you heavy thing, she went on in an impatient tone, but there was no answer but a gentle snoring. Snoring got more distinct every minute and sounded more like a tune. At last, uh, she could even make out the words, and she listened eagerly. When the two gray heads vanished from her lap, she hardly missed them. She was standing before an arched doorway over which were the words Queen Alice in large letters. On each side of the arch was a bell handle, one marked visitor's bell and the other servant's bell. I'll wait till the song's over, thought Alice, and then I'll ring the 
Which bell must I ring? She went on, very much puzzled by the names. I'm not a visitor, and I'm not a servant. There ought to be one mocked queen, you know. Just then the door opened a little ways, and a creature with a long beak put its head out for a moment and said, No admittance till the week after next! Shut the door again with a bang. Alice knocked and rang in vain for a long time, but after at uh, last a very old frog, who was sitting under a tree, got up and hobbled slowly towards her, who was dressed in bright yellow and had enormous boots on. What is it now? The frog said in a deep, hoarse whisper. Alice turned around, ready to find fault with anybody. Where's the servant whose business it is to answer the door? She began angrily. Which door? Said the frog. Alice almost stamped with irritation at the slow drawl with which she spoke. This door, of course. The frog looked at the door with large, dull eyes for a minute. Then he went nearer and rubbed it with his thumb as if he were trying to uh, trying whether the paint would come off. And he looked at Alice. To answer the door, he said. What's it been asking of? He was so hoarse that Alice could scarcely hear him. I don't know what you mean, she said. I talk English, don't I? Said the frog went on. Why well, are you deaf? What did you ask? What did it ask you? Nothing, Alice said impatiently. I've been knocking at it. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that, frog muttered. Wexes it, you know. He went up and gave the door a kick with one of his great feet. You let it alone, he painted as he hobbled back to his tree. And it'll let you alone, you know. At this moment, the door was flung open and a shrill voice was heard singing. All right. Um, through the looking glass world, it was Alice that said, I have a scepter in hand and a crown on my head. Let the looking glass creatures, whatever they be, coming down with the red queen, the white queen, and me. And hundreds of voices joined in the chorus. Then fill up the glasses as quick as you can and sparkle the table with buttons and bran. Put cats in the coffee and mice in the tea and welcome Queen Alice with 30 times 3. They followed a confusing noise of cheer and Alice thought to herself, 30 times 3 makes 90. I wonder if anyone's counting. In a minute there was uh, silence again and the same shrill voice sang another verse. Oh, looking grass creatures. Oh, hold on. Uh, there we go. Uh, quoth Alice, draw near, tis an honor to see me, a favor to hear. Tis a privilege high to have dinner and tea along with the Red Queen, the White Queen, and me. Then came the chorus again. Then fill up the glasses with treacle and ink or anything else that is pleasant to drink. Mix sand with cider and wool with wine and welcome Queen Alice with 90 times 9. 90 times 9. Alice pleaded with despair. Oh, that's never been done. I'd be, I'd better go in at once. And, um, oh, that'll never be done. I'd better go in at once. And there was dead silence the moment she appeared. Alice glanced nervously at the long table as she walked up the large hill and noticed that there were 50 quests of all kinds. Some were animals, some were birds, and even a few of them, um, and there were even a few flowers among them. I'm glad they, uh, have come without waiting to be asked, she thought. I should never have known who were the right people to invite. There were three chairs at the head of the table. The red queen and white queen had already taken two of them, but the middle one was empty. Alice sat down in it, rather uncomfortable in silence, and longing for someone to speak. At last, the red queen began. You've missed the soup and the fish, she said. Put on the joint! And the waiter set a leg of mutton before Alice, who looked at it rather anxiously, as she had never had to carve a joint before. You look a little shy. Let me introduce you to that leg of mutton, said the Red Queen. Alice Mutton, Mutton Alice. The leg of mutton got up in the dish and made a little bow to Alice. Alice returned the bow, not knowing whether to be frightened or amused. Um, may I give you a slice? She said, taking up the knife and fork and looking from one queen to another. Certainly not, the Red Queen said very decidedly. It is an etiquette to cut anyone uh, you've been introduced to. Remove the joint! The waitress carried it off and brought a large plum pudding into place. I won't be introduced to pudding, please, Alice said rather hastily. We shall get no dinner at all. May I give you some? But the Red Queen looked sulkily and growled, Pudding, Alice, Alice, pudding, remove the pudding! And the waitress took it away so quickly that Alice couldn't return its bow. However, she didn't see why the Red Queen should be the one to give orders, so as an experiment, she called out, Waiter, bring back the pudding! And that was again in a moment like a conjuring trick. It was so large that she couldn't help feeling a little shy with it as she had been with the mutton. However, she conquered her shyness by great effort and cut a slice and handed it to the Red Queen. What impertinence, said the pudding. I wonder how you'd like it if I were to slice, uh, take a, cut a slice out of you, you creature. 
It spoke in a thick, suety sort of voice, and Alice hadn't a word to say in reply. She could only sit and look at it with a gasp. Make a remark, the Red Queen said. It's ridiculous to leave all the conversation to the pudding. Do you know, I have had... I've had such a quantity of poetry repeated me today. Alice began a little friend at finding the moment she opened her lips, there was dead silence, and all eyes were fixed upon her. And it's a very curious thing, I think. Every poem was about fishes in some way. Do you know why they're so fond of fish and all, um, all about you? She spoke to the Red Queen, whose answer was a little wide on the mark. As to fishes, she said very slowly and solemnly, putting her mouth close to Alice's ear. Her white majesty loves a, knows a lovely riddle, all in poetry, all about fishes. Shall she repeat it? Is that true? Is every poem in this book about fish? I don't think that's true. Jamaraki's not about fish. The song wasn't about fish. Huh. I don't think that's true. Somebody would have to go back and listen to it because I'm not scrolling back through these poems. Once I'm done reading this book, it's dead to me. <laughs> it's dead to me in all the world. Anyway. Um, Her, Maj Her Edge Majesty is very kind to mention it. The White Queen murmured in Alice's other ear in a voice like a cooing of a pigeon. It would be such a treat. May I? Please do, Alice said very politely. The White Queen laughed with delight and stroked Alice's cheek. Then she began. Oh, God. More poems. First, the fish must be caught. That's easy. A baby, I think, could have caught it. Next, the fish must be bought. That's easy. A penny, I think, would have bought it. Now cook me the fish. That is easy and will not take more than a minute. Let it lie in a dish. That is easy because it is already in it. Bring it here. Let me sup. It is easy to set such a dish on the table. Take the dish cover up. Ah, that is so hard that I fear I'm unable. For it holds it like glue. Holds the lid to the dish where it lies in the middle, which is easiest to do. Undish cover the fish or dish cover the riddle. Take a minute to think about it, then guess, the Red Queen said. Meanwhile, we'll drink to your health. Queen Alice's health, she screamed at the top of her voice, and all the guests began drinking directly, and very queerly they managed it. Some of them put their glasses upon their heads like extinguishers, drank all that trickled down on their faces, other upset the decanters and drank the wine as it ran off the edges of the table. And three of them, who looked like kangaroos, scrambled into the dish of roast mutton and began lapping up the gravy, just like pigs in a trough, thought Alice. Uh-uh. You ought to return thanks for to um you ought to return thanks in a neat speech. The White Queen said, frowning at Alice as she spoke. We must support you, you know, the White Queen whispered, and Alice got up to do it very obediently, but a little frightened. Thank you very much, she whispered in reply. I can do it quite well without. I wouldn't be at all the thing, the White Queen said very decidedly, so Alice tried to submit to it with a good grace. And they did push her so, she said afterwards when she was telling her sister of the feast. You would have thought they wanted to squeeze me flat. In fact, it was rather difficult for her to keep in her place while she made her speech. The two queens pushed her so, one on each side, that they nearly lifted her up into the air. I rise to return, thanks, Alice began, and she really did rise as she spoke several inches, but she got a hold of the edge of the table and managed to pull herself back down again. Take care of yourself, screamed the White Queen, seizing Alice's hair with both hands. Something's going to happen. And then, as Alice afterwards described it, all sorts of things happened in a moment. The candles all grew up in the ceiling, looking something like a bed of rushes with fireworks at the top. As, the, as to the bottles, they each took a pair of plates, which they hastily fitted on his wings, and so, with forks for legs, went on fluttering in all directions. And very like birds they look, Alice thought to herself as well as she could in the dreadful confusion that was beginning. At this moment she heard a hoarse laugh at her side and turned to see what was the matter with the white queen. But instead of the queen, there was the leg of mutton sitting in a chair. Here I am, cried a voice from the soup tureen, and Alice turned just in time to see the queen's broad good nature face grinning at the, at the, for a moment, over the edge of the tureen before she disappeared into the soup. There was not a moment to be lost. Already several of the guests were lying down in the dishes and the sloop ladle was walking up the table towards Alice's chair and beckoning uh, to her impatiently to get out of its way. I can't stand this any longer, she cried um, as she jumped up and seized the tablecloth with both hands. One good pull and the plates and dishes and guests and candles came crashing down together in a heap on the floor. 
As for you, she went on turning fiercely upon the Red Queen, who she considered as the cause of all the mischief. But the Queen was no longer at her side. She had suddenly dwindled down to the size of a little doll and was now on the table, merrily running around and around uh, after her own shawl, which was trailing behind her. At any other time, Alice would have felt very uh, felt surprised at this, but she was far too much excited to be surprised by anything now. As for you, she repeated, catching hold of the little creature in the very act of jumping over a bottle which had just lighted upon the table. I shall shake you into kitten. That I will. Um. Chapter 10. Shaking. She took off. She took her off the table as she spoke and shook her backwards and forwards with all her might. The Red Queen made no resistance whatsoever. Only her face grew very small and her eyes got large and green. And still Alice went on shaking her and she kept on growing shorter and fatter and softer and rounder and... Chapter 11. Waking. And it really was a kitten after all. That's the whole chapter. That's probably the shortest chapter of anything I've ever read. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words. And it really was a kitten after all. Chapter 12. Um. Yeah, this... This is the last chapter of the book. I'm just going to finish it. I was very bizarre to have two chapters back to back with barely anything between them. Anyway. Which dreamed it? Your majesty shouldn't purse a lot. Alice said, rubbing her eyes and addressing the kitten respectfully with some severity. You woke me out of the... Oh, such a nice dream. That was not a nice dream. That was a horrible dream. I would wake up screaming if I had this dream. Anyway. And you would have been along with me, kitty. All through the looking glass world. Uh, did you know it, dear? It was a very inconvenient habit of kittens, Alice once made the remark, that whatever you say to them, they always purr. If them, if they would only purr for yes and meow for no, or any rule of that sort, she had said, so that one could keep up a conversation. But how can you talk with a person if all they say is the same thing? On this occasion, the kitten only purred, and it was impossible to guess whether it meant yes or no. So Alice hunted among the chessmen on the table till she found the Red Queen. Why is it red? Chess pieces are black and white, right? Maybe they were originally red. I don't exactly know. But that always bothered me. I keep thinking of, like, playing cards. Like, red and black, it makes sense there. But it doesn't make sense on a chessboard where the pieces are white and black. At least I think they are. I can see it in my head that one side is red, but I don't fucking... Like, I think in the Harry Potter Wizard chess set, I think one side is red. So I guess it doesn't really matter. But, like, in all the chess sets I've ever played, one side was black and one side was white. So, oh, well. Then she went down to her knees on the hearth rug and put the kitchen and the queen uh, to look at each other. Now, Kitty, she cried, clapping her hands triumphantly. Confess that what you uh, confess that was what you turned into. But it wouldn't look at it, she said uh, when she explained the things afterwards to her sister. Turned away its head and pretended not to see it. But it looked a little ashamed of itself, so I think it must have been the Red Queen. Sit up a little more stiffly, dear. Alice cried with a merry laugh and curtsy while you're thinking of what to what to purr. It saves time, remember. And she caught it up and gave it one little kiss. Just in honor of having been a Red Queen. Snowdrop, my pet. She went on looking over her shoulder at the white kitten, which was still patiently undergoing its toilet. Oh, okay. When will Dinah have finished with you, uh, with your white magic, I wonder? That must be the reason you were so untidy in my dream. Dinah, do you know that you're scrubbing a white queen? Because it's most disrespectful of you. And what did Dinah turn into, I wonder? She prattled on as she sat comfortably down with one elbow in the rug and her chin in her hand to watch the kids. Tell me, Donna, did you turn into Humpty Dumpty? I think you did. However, you better not mention it to your friends just yet, for I'm not sure. By the way, Kitty, of only if only you'd been really with me in my dream, there's one thing you would have enjoyed. I had such a quantity of poetry said to me all about the fishes. Tomorrow morning you shall have a real treat. 
all the time you're eating your breakfast, I'll repeat the walrus and the coffin to you. And then you can make believe it's oysters, dear. Now, Kitty, let's consider who it was that dreamed it all. This is a serious question, my dear. You should not go on licking your paw like that, as if Dinah hadn't washed you this morning. You see, Kitty, it must have been either me or the Red King. It was part of my dream, of course, but then I was part of his dream, too. Was it the Red King, Kitty? You were his wife, my dear. You ought to know. Oh, Kitty, do help to settle it. I'm sure your paw can wait. But the broken kidding only began the other paw and pretended that it hadn't the question. Which do you think it was? Which is not posted in quotes, but posed to me, the reader. And there is a poem here. <laughs> a boat beneath a sunny sky lingering onward dreamily in an evening of July. Children three that nestled near, eager eye and willing ear, pleased a simple tale to hear. Long had paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die. Autumn's frosts have slain July. Still she haunts me, phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, never seen by waking eyes. Children yet, the tale to hear, eager eye and willing ear, loving shall nestle near. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die. Ever drifting down the stream, lingering in a golden gleam, life... What is it but a dream? The end. And that, my fine lasses and lords, my fine peeps and peoples, was through the looking glass and what Alice found there. I'm trying to compare it to the first one. Um, I feel like more of this book was used in the Disney animated movie. I can't help but think at what liberties the live action versions of this story took taking the Jabberwocky poem which has absolutely zero bearing on the rest of the story and turning that into like the crux of the movie where she fights the Jabberwocky which is voiced by Christopher Lee and there's like a prophecy with the Vorpal sword and all sorts of crazy shit none of that's in the book um but I suppose if they tried to just directly adapt what was in these books the movie wouldn't make any sense because the books don't make any sense. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of these books. It's to just not make sense. Art doesn't need to make sense. Sometimes art is just a thing and it's there and you can go, huh, that's a thing that's there. Sometimes that's that's all it needs to be. So, in the spirit of art not making sense, I'd say this book does a wonderful job because most of it is just straight up fucking gibberish. Um, but that is Alice's adventures in the looking glass and all that crazy dumb shit she found in there. Um... Huh. Well, I've read the book, so you don't have to. Um, I don't think... You know, I understand it's a... Is it a classic? I don't even know. I understand it's a piece of literature that spawned a lot of uh, interpretations, and God knows that Alice in Wonderland, like, aesthetic is pretty popular. But, um... I don't think I ever need to read these books again. Um, there's not a lot to be gained from it. You know? I enjoyed the tale... And I have a good sense of completion from having finished these books. There's a good sense of like, ah, I have read both Alice in Wonderland books. Spectacular. Well done. Top drawer. Um, but those were weird books. Dare, I don't think I've ever read a Stranger book. Like, the only book I can really think that's even close to this is The Phantom Tollbooth. And I think there was a point to The Phantom Tollbooth. Um, I haven't read it in years, but I'm pretty sure there was a point to that. I don't think there's a point to this. It's not even really a coming-of-age story, because she didn't really learn anything at the end. She woke up from her crazy-ass dream and thought her cats were in it. 
That's not the, those are not, no, that's not, nope. She did not become an adult. She is a seven-year-old child who had a seven-year-old child dream and then proceeded to believe her fantasy was reality. Um, I don't even, yeah, it's kind of, kind of where that is. But thank you very much for listening to Through the Looking Glass. I have absolutely no idea what book is coming next, but we'll find out together. Thank you very much to listening to this episode of the Going Up cast. I hope you enjoyed listening to Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there. We are now done with the Alice in Wonderland books. As as I said at the beginning of the podcast, the next book we will be reading is Peter and Wendy. I believe that is actually what it's called, um, but it's the Peter Pan story. Um, just like all these other classic books, I've never actually read it. I don't even know how long it is. It could be really short or it could be really long. There's only one way to find out and that's by reading it. Stay safe, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I will see you next week for another episode of The Going Up Kids. Have a good one, everyone.